Hey everyone, welcome back to all my listeners. Hope you're all having a great day so far. And if it's your first time finding me, thanks so much and welcome. Welcome to episode 10 of my third season. Today is Wednesday, July 7th, 2021. My name is Sanal Patel and this is the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series. So I can't believe it's already the start of the third quarter and there's so much that's new and released this month of July from various commercial policy updates, as well as new updates to the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule database, and the whopping new files that just dropped on the CDC website for 2022's ICD-10-CM codes that will become effective October 1st, 2021. Now, today's episode unpacks my compliance tips for billing inhalant drugs. And I'm simply thrilled to have Victoria Mole on as my special guest on today's episode. I also round out today's episode with a profound note on journeys from the beautiful words of Anais Nin. If you checked me out on LinkedIn, you know I'm all about compliance and protecting our physicians and valued healthcare professionals when it comes to the business of medicine. I hope this week with me brings you enough to take back to your organizations, to want to dive in deeper, to use my tips and best practices to ensure success. I hope this podcast will help you boost the quality of documentation capture and improve coding accuracy as you help your providers paint the medical picture. If you like what you're hearing, go ahead and hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss another episode. Please write in a review and drop me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to my podcast. I'd really love your support. And as always, a friendly disclaimer. Remember, I'm bringing you the news, current healthcare industry news, my compliance tips and recommendations based on my over 10 years of experience in front office, back end, coding, and billing for multi-specialty physicians, compliance, and auditing for both ENM and surgical operative reports. These are my opinions alone and are not to be construed as legal advice. So let's get into a very special newsworthy that features my guest today, Contempo Coding owner and YouTube phenom, Victoria Mole. I'm so excited to introduce her to all of you. Now, Victoria has been in the medical coding industry since 2007. She has multi-specialty experience in professional coding, auditing, and risk adjustment coding. Victoria has published numerous articles on coding and billing best practices, and she's even spoken at several local, regional, and national events, including HealthCon, the National Business of Healthcare Expo. She's been featured on various podcasts and has her own dynamic YouTube channel, which I love. It's filled with free coding tips, tricks, and tutorials. Victoria serves on the AAPC Chapter Association Board of Directors for the years of 2020 through 2022. Simply remarkable stuff, Victoria. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to be here so now. And I, you know, and just in such admiration of the way that you are able to have your podcast. And I love the, that concept of painting the medical picture and really what do we need to look at at a deeper level as coders and people in health information. Oh, thanks so much, Victoria. Thanks so much. I'm brand new to this podcasting thing, right? So I have lots, lots to look up to 
in you. So thanks so much for everything that you do and that you've been putting yourself out there. And I love it. All of us experienced new coders, all of us simply enjoy everything that you do, Um, especially because you have a remarkable way of teaching through that little camera lens that we all, people like me are kind of, we get stuck. We're like, ooh, the camera is on us, but you are smooth. Um, So it's remarkable that you can teach us through that camera um, lens. Excuse me. You deliver impact with your education style and your technique for, for the coders of all types, right? The students, the apprentices, to all of us that are experienced too. So what's been your biggest inspiration here? What's your why? So one of my biggest inspirations is I've always loved people like Bill Nye, the science guy, where they can take something that is technical data and break it down into a concept and an entertaining way that it goes to kids and it makes such an impact to them that they wind up growing into adults who love science, get into science fields. And that's what I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to just make the technical pieces of medical coding and try and make them more entertaining so that this is something that people get excited about in the industry. Um, When I started first learning medical coding, like preparing for the CPC exam, I was more or less read the CPT book. And I don't blame my instructor at all because I just don't think at the time there was a lot of really good resources even available Um, I think there may have been some PowerPoint slides around the time, but it was really, really dry, not a lot much to work with. And I've always wanted to develop ways like I can make this better. What are some ways that I can take even a little piece and just make it more engaging, make it a little bit more palatable. And one of the things that really made an impact to me was something that I was told during a lean management training a few years ago. And that was about the curse of knowledge. And they said that the curse of knowledge is that once you know something, it's really hard to remember what it's like to not know that thing. And I always try to remember how to put myself in the shoes of people who don't know concepts that I've known for 10 years, things like evaluation and management. There's terms that I just spit out off the tip of my tongue. They just roll off, but to a new coder or to a physician, they might not know what I'm talking about when I say a detailed exam or an expanded review of systems. Um, So I, I like to keep that grasp on that and don't lose sight of the fact that people who are just learning might not understand just some of those little terminologies and little concepts. So there's little ways that we can do that, like examples. Examples are phenomenal. And even little things like One of the things I learned to do when working with physicians is I used to, like a lot of us do at the end of a presentation, say, uh, do you have any questions? And just little things like rewording that and going, what questions do you have? So maybe I do like E&M education stop at the end of my exam, you know, spiel and go, what questions do you have about uh, documentation for exams? Because then that prompts them like, oh, I'm supposed to ask a question now versus, oh, they're just, you know, seeing if I if I do or do not have a question. So I really like to break down 
barriers. That's another thing. I love breaking down barriers. And one of my goals that I had thought of a few years ago was, wouldn't it be cool if I got to a point in expertise where I could go to like national conference with my hair dyed rainbow colors and people would still come because they're like, we love Victoria and we don't care that her hair is every single color of the rainbow because we just want to listen to what she has to say. Um, And I don't profess to be the end all be all expert of medical coding. I'm not here to be the queen master mother, put a crown on my head, anything like that. Like I just really at my core want to make really cool content that just helps everyone out. I love it. Absolutely what you do. That's the truth. Um, I was listening to you talk and absolutely correct. I had studied back in the day as well. And you're right. Um, Back in 2007, 2008, there wasn't anything creative out there to help um, really master the material. It was much more just the traditional open your textbooks, use a workbook, very traditional type of teaching. So you're right. Thank you. And I think this is why you really do, um, you know, shine with so many different types of people because you're able to explain things in a much more animated way. Um, you're able to, of course, bring in your specific examples that you've seen over the years based on that experience, but you can bring in those video elements, those fun ways of teaching that so many of us in today's times um, are drawn to. We appreciate that um, extra effort of teaching that you put out there. So it is very, very appreciated. I love it. I love it. Now, um, along the same vein of questioning, um, you know, we all have a past and a history, right? That's rich with our trials and our tribulations. We've all had hiccups in the road. It's never a straight shot to any of our dreams, right? So if you can, I'd hope you could share some of those steps that you took to get here. Hopefully you can tell us a little bit more about your journey into how you became the Victoria Mole. I know you don't like to hear that, but you are the Victoria Mole with the following of a ridiculous amount of followers on your YouTube channel. It's over 20,000 people, but you still are amazing, humble, kind, and approachable. So I'd love to hear more. Yeah. And I love that you use the words approachable because that is something that I really do strive for that. I, again, I don't want to seem like I am just this top of the mountain. Not at all. I crown no, on it you're all. very um, grounded. Yeah. So I... In order to kind of understand where I came from originally, you have to go back way back to like high school. So in high school, I was just this like mess of a kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't really like a lot of people. I was very goth. I had black nails and wore all black and my hair was dyed fire engine red. And I was someone who just, I I didn't appreciate school. Like I didn't kind of get it. I, it's not that I wasn't smart. I just didn't understand the importance of applying myself. I didn't understand why I needed to get good grades. I was not someone who my parents were very 
adamant that I get into an Ivy League school. I knew I probably wasn't going to do more than just community college. I didn't even know really what direction I wanted to head in as opposed to my mother. Like my mother was a CNA and she'd been working with the elderly population since she was probably 15, 16 years old. And that was always what she did. She just loved taking care of elderly patients. She was the type of person that there were days she would come home late because she knew one of her residents was going to pass away because she just knew clinically the signs of that was about to happen. And she would stay with them because she never, ever wanted anyone to die alone. So she would hold their hand so that they knew that someone was there with them as they passed away. And my mother had worked in healthcare for just so many years and saw that I was struggling and one day reached out to me and was like, you know, Victoria, there's this girl at the nursing home and she does this medical coding. She has her own office. She doesn't really get bothered by a lot of people. Like she just works with these medical records that the doctors give her. She has these books. She looks up these codes in these books. She is there during day shift hours. She always leaves on time. It doesn't seem like a a terribly hard job. Is that something you would be interested in? Because it looks like it's a a pretty sweet job. She has her own office and everything. And I'm like, you know, like a typical teenager, I'm just like, mom, you don't, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're probably, ha- or just, that sounds incredibly stupid. Why would I want to do something like that? I was very into web design at the time. I've been blogging since I was probably 13 years old about things like My Little Ponies and Transformers and video games and junk food and all kinds of stuff. That's what I was doing back then and loved making my own websites. So I went to a community college for web design. A couple of courses short of graduating, like things were just really getting worse with me, just not appreciating things, just not being kind of like this hot mess. Wound up, I was basically clinically depressed. Um, Decided, you know, let's just stop what I'm doing here, get that straightened out, which thank God I was able to. I appreciate the fact that not everyone can uh, because of their particular situations, but I was able to, but then I had, I didn't know what the heck to do. I was taking clerical jobs. I was filing things. I wound up working at a call center for a large department store in this area um, where people would call in about internet orders and stuff. So I was kind of leading at the call center there. I just wanted something specialized. And at that point, I'm like in my mid 20s. And I'm like, you know, maybe my mom's idea about this medical coding thing was not not so bad after all. And I went to my back to my local community college. And I was going to enroll in medical, their medical secretary program, I think, because back then they didn't have associate's degrees for billing and coding. They just had like medical administration. That was like the closest kind of thing you could get. And so I went there and I met with a counselor and I'm like, yeah, I want to kind of get into medical billing and coding. I was thinking about enrolling into the um, medical secretary program because I see that involves a little bit of like medical coding. And she said something to me that like no one has ever phrased it this way before. She said, do you want a job or do you want a degree? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like my entire, since I've been able to speak, I have been told that I have to get a degree in order to get a job. Like at the millennial generation, that's what we were fed. That's why we're tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt now for colleges and can't get $15 an hour at a job because we were just told we just need a degree. Like that's it. That's your golden ticket. Um, And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, we have a medical billing and coding program, but it's not here at the college. It's over at our business school, which is across the street. 
She's like, you want to be over there. They'll get you done in nine months. There might be uh, grants that you get. So I walked right across the street over to their business and technology center, enrolled in their medical billing and coding program. I got a grant that paid for my entire schooling as a workforce improvement grant. And it was like, when I opened up these books and started looking through things, it was like, I was like, I was home. Like, this is something I'm good at. I can do this. I like this. This is interesting to me. And I was finally good at something. People were recognizing that I was good at something. And I, fortunately, when I went to school, it was right at that cusp where private practices were really starting to go away and hospitals were buying up private practices and they needed people. So I got an internship. They hired me right off the internship because they just needed people. So I worked in charge entry, just typing in codes all day, basically the providers selected and, um, they needed coders. So they said, Hey, we'll, we'll bring someone in to train you for the CPC credential. If you pass, we'll reimburse you all of the fees that you pay to this instructor. So that's what I did. I got my CPC. I took a second job teaching evening classes. I took on every special project I could think of. Even if it was like, Hey, Victoria, um, we need someone to, backload all of the schedules into the new EMR. We're going into a new EMR. We need someone to just take all the stuff that's in the schedule and put it in, manually put it into the system. Fine, I'll do it because then I can say, I have experience implementing new EMR systems and working on a team. And there's all kinds of great ways you can spin some of those just very menial little projects that you, no one else kind of wants to take, but they look really great when you, when you say that you have that experience. Um, so basically... Uh, I did a lot of that. My first couple of years in healthcare, honestly, I ha had a lot of trouble moving up. You know, I was denied promotions more times than I can remember. I was told I make people uncomfortable. I was told, um, you know, my, my first team, they, some of the girls, I think just didn't like me because they saw that I was getting special projects because I went above and beyond and got my coding credentials. And they tried to convince the new boss that I was just this problem child. So I was told even at one point to just stop applying for higher positions. I've been told that I don't really want to work with providers, that I shouldn't work with providers, that I upset providers. I've been screamed at. I've been micromanaged. Um, I've been questioned about my thought process to the point of, you know, detailing every move I make to someone to the point that I'm like having a nervous breakdown. So I've been through all kinds of trials and tribulations. It has absolutely not been a smooth transition, a smooth ride up into what I am now. So just like everyone else, it's been extremely bumpy. I've had things I've had to overcome. Uh, I, I made a video, I think the one day about how I became this overnight coding success, because it that's the way it kind of looks from the outside. Like I just sprung up out of nowhere and all of a sudden I'm this amazing YouTube star. And I'm like, well, no, I went through a lot of stuff and I spent time writing articles for Healthcare Business Monthly. I spoke at my local chapter. I volunteered at my local chapter. And that's really what's my biggest tip to everyone who wants to move up is just take advantage of every opportunity you have. Get that extra credential. Work on the extra projects. Um, get inventive. Do those articles. You know, Host those webinars. Uh, anything you can do over time uh, to, to build upon your your kind of experience. But 
there, a lot of people focus on things like working overtime and working overtime and, and, and putting in that kind of initiative will get you extra money right away. It will get you a little bit more maybe um, cred with your boss because, oh, you're putting in this extra time and it will give you short-term gains. But if you're looking for a long-term progression, a long-term uh, way to get up in your career and elevate yourself, it's really more those thinking outside of the box components that are really going to provide that growth in this industry. I love it, Victoria. Your journey is incredible. Um, you know, I'm listening very closely to all of your steps and I hear the familial connection that you have to healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. So you have your mom's genes in there. That healthcare side is right, right there. Then you had transition because you were a snarly teenager as we all <laughs> once were. Um, and you were really good at web design. So here we go. Flash forward to today, you eventually combined both those genes that you have and your web skills. So incredible, incredible. Um, all of the naysayers in your path, we've all had those in our experiences. So I agree with you. Um, our uh, next generation of coders should really pay attention, right? Um, you will experience um, some of those higher ups in your life who tell you, no, no, you can't do it. No, you're not fast enough you're being micromanaged. Absolutely. Um, but it's a matter of your own perseverance and strength and what you see from within um, that you absolutely can pivot and accelerate your own career. Completely agree with you. Um, you should definitely make those extra attempts to get those new certifications, write those articles, get yourself published. Absolutely. Do speaking engagements host a webinar. Absolutely. These are all wonderful uh, tips to advance your career. I love right. it. So your you, journey. Passed. You don't have to go from zero to a hundred either. That's the other thing. Correct. I have one girl that volunteers every now and then with my chapter doing things like just making gift baskets or chocolate covered pretzels or helping with yes. a registration table. And those are excellent ways that you can just kind of start to volunteer, get a feel for what is going on, and then make slow progression. 1%, 1% improvement every day mm -hmm. will make over time huge, huge improvements on your career. Well said. Well said. And absolutely right. Just because we look a certain way on social media, our presence is like, oh, wow, they must be fabulous. They must have gotten there in, you know, 20 days tops, and they became fabulous. I agree with you. That's simply false. It takes a long time to develop your career, right? To excel in your career. Um, and it's all about establishing relationships with those of us in the field, um, you know, and having those offline conversations also that really um, inspire, can help inspire the next wave of people. So I love it. Love your journey. Now, you know, over the past couple of years, you and I have connected on LinkedIn, of mm -hmm. course, and we respect each other's work tremendously. Now, I know you know my voice 
loud and clear here, right? I'm always talking about working smarter for coding compliance in 2021. It's the year to make impactful changes towards proactive compliance. We must do better. But I want to hear your voice. I want my listeners to hear your voice. What is it you would like to see to improve in medical coding? To decrease the finger pointing, the blame game that we medical coders often receive, right? When errors occur, if there are those later post-payment audits. I think a team approach is really extraordinarily crucial. And I know in remote settings now that can be more difficult to achieve. But I think this is an industry where no matter how tight we think we keep things, mistakes are always going to happen. And it, while it's important to understand the how, like how did this happen, we need to get over the who made the mistake and focus more on how do we assure that this doesn't happen again. More often than not, it's not the people that are necessarily making the mistake, but something in the process that is making the mistake. Those people aren't intentionally out there trying to miscode. None of us want to, to intentionally wrongly code something. Um, so no matter the what you do, no matter what corrective actions you take, no matter even if you fire the coder, you can't go back in time and make that not happen. So there's really no point to continuing to lament over it because that's just going to do nothing but promote the negativity. It's going to cause stress. It's going to cause health issues, all kinds of other unwanted things. Turnover potentially because if they see, hey, this one person made this mistake and they you know, were really thrown under the bus, everyone else is going to be anxious about that. And then they're going to think, oh my God, I don't want this to happen to me. And what's that going to happen? They're either going to slow down in productivity because they're so stressed out. That's all they're thinking about. They're going to wind up having sick days. They might say, I don't, this isn't a place I want to work that if I make one mistake and I didn't even intend to that, you know, there's going to be all these repercussions. So, you know, most people aren't intentionally trying to produce errors or, or causing fraud. And in the grand scope of things, I think it's just, we see a lot, it's public, like the things that are fraud, the things that are billed wrong are very, very public. We don't see the, you know, a huge amount of providers that are doing things so well. Um, it, I watched a funny, it was a TikTok the other day, actually, where it was a, a physician who was in their residency and they were billing a 99215 for their first time. And basically the stance of the TikTok was they were so incredibly nervous about billing their very first 99215 because they were so afraid that someone was probably going to, you know, audit them or they were going to get told that they didn't document appropriately. And, um, yeah, so I think we really just need to focus more on just the education piece and the corrective action, not just for coders, not just for, but really for everyone in the revenue cycle. Because while, while we all can't be experts in everything, it's good to have a a slight understanding of at least a little bit of everything. Like I, one of my personal areas that I am not good with is provider credentialing and enrollment. I know very, very little about provider credentialing and enrollment because I've not had a lot of just hands-on experience in there. So I know very little and there could be things that I could miss on an audit because maybe I don't understand a, a credentialing piece or something. So, you know, the more I could get educated on that, that would be great. So that's one of the things I'm kind of looking at in, in my future. But, you know, there's so much vastness now 
in RevCycle and in healthcare. It's, it's difficult for anyone to know everything. So we all should, I think, focus on mastering some small components, but then also knowing a generalization about a lot of different things to contribute to that greater good. I agree with you. Um, I've been having so many conversations recently about the fact that, yeah, the landscape of healthcare has become much more complex. Um, regulations are much stricter. Um, I agree with you. Um, we all need to play a part in understanding all of the pieces that go into the revenue cycle process. Um, and I don't think that is necessarily occurring everywhere, um, but I agree wholeheartedly that it would be a step in the right direction if we all took a little bit more accountability and understood what each you know um, role had to account for. Um, so perhaps we can improve the overall aspects of you know compliance if it's in the provider uh, practice landscape or the hospital setting situation. I think it goes in both places. We just need to do a better job um, in understanding how all of our roles have an impact. I love it. I love it. And last question, Victoria, before you go, sadly, um, you know what, where am I going to see you in the next five years? What are you still striving for? So I have only been full-time in my business for now a few months, part-time for a couple of years, full-time now for just a few months. So I'm still working on a lot of building blocks, I feel like right now. I have a million ideas of projects and I, um, I'm still trying to prioritize all of these different ideas on a fairly thin budget yet because I'm still pretty, pretty new. But I think once I've got some more things like my core curriculums and educations built, some of my next projects are going to be, um, I'm looking at writing a book. So I did start awesome. one back in November, but it was just really poor timing because there was just so much E&M outpatient education right. that needed to be done right before January mm -hmm. one. So the time that I had to dedicate that just wasn't there. Um, so that's one thing that I'm, I'm looking at right now. And I'm hoping to continue to really grow the YouTube channel. And there are predictions. There's websites out there like Social Blade, where they tell you how much a channel view uh, gets in views in a month, uh, what their projected views are going to be in the future. And there are some predictions through some of these outlets that within the next, you know, two, maybe three years, I'll probably get the elusive silver play button on YouTube, which is when you hit 100,000 subscribers. So that's a, a goal that I've kind of got in the back of my mind. I've considered actually even starting a secondary channel just to talk about professionalism, how I've come to where I am professionally and how I've kind of grown my business through social media. Um, I'm also toying with other ideas like maybe potentially starting up some small group coaching services down the line. But, you know, right now I'm just so focused on creating content. Um, and I also to be honest, like I miss a little bit more of doing the hands-on coding. And I know that that's going to circle back eventually, but uh, I'm hoping to, as I get those building blocks in place, start maybe picking up some smaller contractual work along the way as well. Well, I love it. I can't wait to get your book whenever it gets published. <laughs> that's exciting. Um, all of your plans 
are fabulous. And I know you can achieve every single one of them. So I look forward to your next five years and beyond. It's terrific. That's terrific. Now, for all my listeners, I know we might share a few, but I don't have 20,000. So (laughs) where can my listeners find Victoria? So I am on my YouTube channel, which is Contempo Coding. You can also find me on Instagram. I am on TikTok, where I do just little short pieces of content on little 60-second segments. And also on my website, ContempoCoding.com. Fantastic. Fantastic, Victoria. I'll make sure I include all those details in my show notes. So have we missed anything before you leave me today? No, I just want to say thank you for doing everything that you do and congratulations on all the seasons of your podcast that you've now had now and really truly your dedication to helping others and producing content that really does help others. Thanks so much, Victoria. You're awesome. You're always welcome on my podcast anytime you want. I love it. I loved having you here. Thank you. Thank you. So now. And now it's time for my best practice tips in trusty tip. So of course, the bare bones, the basics is that Medicare requires reasonable and necessary services for coverage indications. And that also applies to nebulizer machines, inhalants, and related drugs. My compliance topic today. Now, why is this such a hot topic? Unfortunately, for the 2019 reporting period, the Medicare fee-for-service improper payment rate for nebulizers and related drugs was 12.3% and accounted for a projected $87.1 million in improper payments. And also for the 2019 reporting period, it was, of course, insufficient documentation that accounted for a whopping 80% of improper payments for nebulizers and related drugs. Now, additional types of errors for nebulizers and related drugs were for no documentation that came in at 1.3% and something called other, which came in at 15.4%. Now, of course, I have no idea what other means, but again, it came in at 15.4%. But I want to focus on that 80% for insufficient documentation. Why? Because providers need to be cognizant of DME LCDs for their durable medical equipment supply claims that most certainly include utilization guidelines as well as documentation requirements. The local coverage determinations plainly state coverage indications, limitations, and or medical necessity. Now, specific to inhalant drugs, in order to justify payment for DME POS items, suppliers must meet these following requirements. I'm going to list four. You must have an SWO or a standard written order. Number two, there must be medical record information, like including the continued use or the continued need for drugs, if that's applicable. Third, there must be correct coding. For that, I want you to be very mindful and review the following Nebulizer's Policy article that's available to the public. And finally, fourth, there's that proof of delivery, right? That POD which I've talked about in many, many prior compliance trustee tips over the past two seasons. 
Now, remember, if none of the drugs used with a nebulizer, either small volume or large volume, are covered, then the compressor, the nebulizer, and other related accessories or supplies will also be denied as not reasonable and not necessary. And those drugs are those J-codes, right? Like for albuterol, for use in obstructive pulmonary disease. Or for domase alpha, for use in cystic fibrosis. Now, for the reasonable and necessary criteria. It's required to establish the initial justification for the medical need, right? When ordering the item or the items. You must demonstrate this in the medical record. It must be captured and retained. Now, that's the item that's going to be reasonable and necessary prior to or at the time of the initial prescription. So, for initial medical necessity, the following criteria must be met. I'm going to go over five of them. The first item for initial medical necessity is that detailed written order, the DWO, if that's applicable. And it must be received by the supplier before a claim can be submitted. Now, the second is for the durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies that DME POS base items that require the written order prior to delivery, the WOPD, the supplier must also obtain a DWO before, again, submitting that claim for any associated options, accessories, and or supplies that are separately billed. And third, there must be a WOPD if that's applicable. It must be received by the supplier before a DME POS item is delivered to a patient. And fourth, an item or service has to be correctly coded when it meets all the coding guidelines listed in CMS HICS-PICS guidelines. And finally, fifth, that proof of delivery, that POD, is a supplier standard and DME POS suppliers are required to maintain POD documentation in their files. Now, for the continued medical necessity, here are some examples of appropriate documentation that would qualify for continued medical necessity. Like number one, if there's a recent order by the treating physician for refills. Number two, there's a recent change in prescription. And finally, number three, the documentation in the beneficiary's medical record within 12 months of the date of service showing use of the item. Then let's move on to the new order documentation requirements. So for all claims for DME POS items billed to Medicare require a written order, also called a prescription, right, from the treating practitioner as a condition for payment. This written order or prescription is referred to as the standardized written order. Once again, that SWO. And the SWO must contain all of these following elements that I'm going to go over. Again, there are five. The first is, of course, that patient name or the Medicare beneficiary identifier number, that MBI number. The second include a general description of the item. And that could mean either a general description, like it's a nebulizer, or include the brand name, the model number, or include the Hixpix code. I always recommend that. Or even further, a Hixpix code narrative. I like that too. 
And then for equipment, in addition to the description of the base item, the SWO may include all concurrently ordered options, accessories, or additional features that are separately billed or require an upgraded code. And again, list each of those separately. And of course, for supplies, in addition to the description of the base item, the SWO may include all concurrently ordered supplies that are separately billed. And again, list each one separately. The third element on that SWO is the quantity to be dispensed, if that's applicable. The fourth item on that SWO must include the order date. And finally, the fifth item on that SWO must include the treating practitioner name and or their national provider identifier number, their NPI number, as well as the treating practitioner's signature. And then let's move on to the refill order documentation requirements. So for refills, suppliers must contact the patient prior to dispensing the refill and not automatically ship on a predetermined basis, even if that's what the patient is authorizing. Second, contact the patient or their assigned designee regarding refills must take place no sooner than 14 calendar days prior to the delivery or the shipping date. And finally, third, for delivery of refills, the supplier must deliver the DME POS product no sooner than 10 calendar days prior to the end of the usage for the current product, regardless of which delivery method is used. And finally, for that proof of delivery, that POD, the date of service shall be the date of delivery and the POD documentation, as well as claims documentation. All of this must be maintained in the supplier's files for seven years, starting from the date of service. And remember, there are three methods for delivery. The first, you can deliver directly to the patient or their authorized representative. Second, you can deliver via shipping or delivery service. And third, the delivery of items can be made to a nursing facility on behalf of the patient. And it's important to note, regardless of the method of delivery, the Medicare contractor must be able to determine the item or items delivered are the same item or items submitted for Medicare reimbursement, and that those items were received by that specific patient. Okay, so, wow, again, right, that's lots and lots of documentation and guidance that must be adhered to for compliance. And remember, with a hefty 80% insufficient documentation rate, it's evident to me that we must do better in creating checklists, improving workflows and efficiencies at both the provider and supplier levels to ensure all documentation is being captured, coding and billing are compliant for all applicable statutory and regulatory guidelines. So. A better, smarter approach is one that's proactive and starts by painting a clear, rich, and vibrant medical picture the first time so your certified medical coder can then abstract codes with accuracy. And finally, in this week's inspiring quote in Spark, 
is from the French-Cuban-American writer Anaïs Nin. We travel, some of us forever, to seek other states, other lives, other souls. Beautifully true, right? I think this is spot on. We all do continue traveling, on our paths, on our journeys. We are all, each one, searching and striving. We are searching for the how. How do we make those improvements to achieve better quality? Quality of life, quality of work, quality of play. We are striving for the when. When can we feasibly attain what we are searching for? Somewhere along the continuum of all our lives, we find what we're looking for. Only to begin again, searching and striving for something new. I am happy Anais Nin's spark still burns brightly in all of us today. So that wraps up today's episode. Please go out and make this a great day, an incredible week for yourselves. Aim a little higher, do a little more, and give back in any way you can in 2021. There's so much each one of us can do. As always, I appreciate you diving into today with me. And if you want more information from me, go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. I'll leave links to everything in the show notes below. Please continue staying safe and healthy, practice safety for one and all during our collective life in the time of coronavirus. We're almost done with it though, I hope. Thank you for listening in on today's very special episode. And I hope every week with me brings you closer to helping your providers paint a masterpiece. See you next Wednesday.